Welcome to the series Calls a Conversation, where we want to challenge you to think about life related to faith beyond the normal boundaries of right and wrong. Each episode features a different topic and guest, but our goal of exploring the in-between remains the same. By offering these different perspectives, we encourage you to draw your own conclusions. We hope that you leave today with more questions than answers. Thanks for joining our conversation. Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode. Uh, This episode is a continuation from last week's conversation with Mr. McFarland, and we are going to dive deeper into exactly what it would look like to um, be mindful of the past actions of the church. I I used the word before being faithful. What does it mean to be? What does it mean to be a faithful follower of Jesus? So what does it mean, Mr. McFarland? Because you say you reject uh, a lot of these binaries, but then we also go back to the tension. You said the biblical critique of religion. How do we, um, with full knowledge of the brokenness of the church, but also with the redeeming power of the church, like how mm, do we move forward powerful. from here? Both uh, as if, individuals, I would say, and also yeah. as a community. Okay, if you have an answer, I'd love to hear it, because I don't know. Uh, (laughs) um, If you're sitting on something good, let me know. Um, Because I I think what this really boils down to is a view of the world that is based in humility, a humbleness. Jesus humbled himself and became a human became a man, uh, did not consider himself equal with, like that that type of biblical language, if we're to be apprenticed and discipled in the way of Jesus, I think we could do with a heavy dose of humility. And so humility is going to drift into the way we interpret the world, right? So humility would say, here's a a really helpful phrase, uh, again, uh, I was, I've been reading stuff. So this, I believe, is back to our friend Rachel Held Evans. She would say she believes the, the story of Jesus and the story of the resurrection as fantastical as it sounds, right? Almost incredible, how could, which literally means unbelievable. Um, she would say it's so compelling to her that she's willing to, to bet her life on it, right? Um, willing to say this is this is true. Um, willing to bet your life and to say I'm willing to be wrong about this, and so th- I think that that extends not into like the, and I don't even mean just does God exist or not. Like I think down to to deeper levels of, of how we want to faithfully read or interpret things, or what does it mean to faithfully follow Jesus. If it's rooted in humility, then I'm able to say honestly and and sincerely, authentically, here's what my convictions, here's what I believe to be true, dot, dot, dot. But I I could be wrong, right? That dot, 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 I could be wrong. If you tag that on and you mean that sincerely, like I could be wrong about this. I could be wrong in a whole host of things. If I have that level of humility, that instantly removes me from being uh, what we would call a fundamentalist, right? Like any type of religious fundamentalist, 
doesn't matter, you know, Christian fundamentalist, Muslim fundamentalist, an extremist. And an extremist in some way is there's a rigidity, right? To be a fundamentalist is to say, uh, here is the answer, it's black and white, um, accept it, take it, leave it, right? And you can go so far as to say you'd be willing to kill over it. Um, that's not, that is not an interpretive practice that is rooted in humility of willing to be willing to be wrong. The flip side, and I'm always doing these flip side things, the flip side is, do we have anything that we would, is there anything you're willing, you know, that you're willing to, to say, put a, plant a flag in the ground and say, no, this is an absolute conviction. And if we disagree on this, I think we're in danger of maybe drifting away. Uh, those things do exist. I, th I think I could be wrong, uh, but those things do, those things do exist. Like I would, I would suggest um, like the resurrection of Jesus. Um, if Christ is not risen, right. Uh, then Paul says we're to be pitied. This is how pathetic is this? Right. So if that's not true, then uh, I think we're just wasting our time. I'm willing to plant a flag on that one and say that's that's a pretty strong conviction. So if I hear somebody say they're they're reading the Bible in a way that challenges the the resurrection, then I would view that as as an essential. Uh, other things, um, it's like yeah, sure, maybe. Like people get really worked up about stuff, right? Like it's okay, maybe, great. Like and it's good to have convictions about things. It's good to to feel confident, um, but if it's not rooted in in a form of humility. Uh, again, scripture is just kind of bubbling up here, right? When, when Paul talks about, like there's that whole famous chapter in Corinthians on love, right? Like love is this, love is patient, love is kind. And it's and the whole idea of, if you don't have love, which is basically a form of humility to love your neighbor. If you don't have that, then I don't care. About, I honestly don't care about your theology or all the things that you go on and on and on about. It's just, Paul calls it a clanging symbol. It's just white noise, right? Mm -hmm. And there's, I think a lot of people listening to this are probably aware there's a lot of clanging symbols in our world. There's a lot of white noise. There's a lot of religious sounding noise out there, right? That uses language and rhetoric and, and things that we're familiar with. And it's not rooted in, it's not rooted in love. It's not rooted in humility. And that's, I know, Mona, you were, you know, at the beginning of this podcast, that was, that's some of the stuff that, that sparked you, right? It's sort of like that feeds into this toxin element of, of the church. And we want to be, uh, I keep looking at the screen because you have some of your questions, uh, the idea of being redemptive. So to be faithful is to be redemptive right? What does it mean to, and what does it mean to redeem things? And we're called to, re, we're called to be agents with God to be, help to usher in, we're like agents, ambassadors, whatever the analogy you want to use of God's economy, of God's kingdom, that God making all things right in the world. And so insofar as I'm doing that, rooted in love and humility, even if I, even if I don't get it, fully right because we again see through a glass darkly i think we're still being faithful that is an entirely non-fundamentalist answer <laughs> for you uh some would push back and i get it right some would push back and say well mr mcfarland you're not actually planting a flag anywhere and you're just weaseling out of it right like it's it's kind of a comfy i can just kind of weasel around things um 
yeah, we should have convictions, but we should, the things that I am like, like willing to die over, um, those are a lot fewer than they were 10 years ago or 20 years ago. How would you say the general climate, I guess you could say of the churches right now, is it this posture of humility that you're encouraging? It depends where you want to draw the lines and zoom in and zoom out, right? Um, if you're talking in North America or some of the loudest voices uh, or the ones that are representative, right? Uh, we would probably say it's a little lower on the humility scale. And uh, so things like, okay, let me use a really tangible example. Um, the idea of, you know, I'm a Canadian, teach social studies, interested in politics and, um, you know, that realm the whole idea of freedom of religion or religious liberty is a massive issue, right? Like that's an important constitutional, legal, you know, in a, in a parliamentary democracy, blah, blah, blah. Like that's kind of an important thing, right? Freedom of religion, religious expression. That being said, that's an example of something that very easily, if it's not rooted in humility and love can be weaponized, right? So you can take, religious liberty and expression and you can actually hi I'm, I'm applying my own moral language to it you can hijack that and it just be a selfish tool to, for self-preservation of your group or your tribe or whatever sort of your bigoted religious attitude that you want to hold on to and you say well it's my right to to do that uh, that's not rooted that's not rooted in love right and so what uh, you asked like do I, I see those voices as really, really loud in Canada, certainly in the United States. Like those are some of the loudest, quote, Christian voices that are out there. If you zoom out a little bit, again, I don't want to, I want to paint everybody with the same brush. You zoom out a little bit, there's stuff happening. I mean, in the global church, um, around the world, now, even as I'm saying that, I realize I'm, I'm throwing us under the bus and saying, well, people over on the other side of the world are doing better things. No, no, like there's faithful Christians everywhere um, that are resisting, they're standing up or to use biblical language or being, or being prophetic. I see from my little vantage point in the world, even as there's these loud, obnoxious, um, self-entitled, right, or religious voices that have basically married themselves to a form of nationalism right uh you know raise their flag and uh sort of sanitize it and sanitize their history and baptize what they're doing in the name of religion i am also seeing tons of people lots of them young people but all sorts of people who are being prophetic and calling that out in the name of jesus right and i i realize that that's that's just my vantage point. Other people, depending on what is filling your social media feed or what podcast you're listening to or what church stuff you're streaming right now in these pandemic times, um, you might be hearing different things. But um, as I've got, you know, as much as I can, my ear to the ground, I am seeing, um, again, to use spiritual language, uh, I'm seeing the spirit at work in, in almost sort of this redemptive way through recognizing there's a lot of religious cultural baggage that people are starting to throw off and call out in the name of in the name of jesus in the name of true religion uh, which is again now speaking to our antidote you were talking about many examples on a national level mm -hmm. 
what happens if a we or a close friend you see is being that toxin but not not in a malicious way right they don't realize that they're carrying this baggage and pushing it on other people how do we approach those types of situations or how do we recognize that in ourselves how do we mm -hmm. resist yeah again you're asking these are good questions it's so tricky right because it's how do we not come across as the arrogant ones uh, here's a here's a biblical phrase that people are trying to always figure out what it means. What does it mean to speak the truth in love? That can be weaponized. I'm just I'm telling you this is the truth and I love you, um, but you're a jerk, right? Uh, that type of thing. Yes, it is a very real danger that we could be that toxin, that we maybe inadvertently, if we're not to go back to the beginning, if we're not rooted in that humility to say I could be wrong about this is is a big part of it I think on a on a larger level though it probably is not at the individual level right again we're feeding into this individualism I think it's at uh, the opposite of the individual is the system I think this is at a systemic level right and so we to be redemptive of our own tradition of, of to say do you know what there is some stuff that I, as a, as a professed Christian follower of Jesus, I might think that that group over there that did something in the name of Jesus or that action in the past has nothing to do with me because it's like, well, they were reading the Bible incorrectly. That's not my issue and concern. And here's why I don't believe that. That may not be enough, right? We may actually need to say, do you know what? Because I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm going to enter into a form of the sufferings of Jesus, maybe even be misinterpreted, maybe even be misunderstood, but to also recognize that I have been complicit in ways, right? I've been involved in structures systemically. What do you mean by complicit? Complicit, meaning that I, I bear some of that responsibility. I actually, I, I bear the weight, whether I think it was right or wrong or should not have happened, I bear some of the responsibility. And I know that's uncomfortable. People don't want it. It's like, ah, it has nothing to do with me. Um, like, you know, like to use our example, like, like I've never owned a human being, right? Like I'm not, a, I'm not a slave owner, right? But okay, both culturally and in the church. I mean, I've been a recipient down through a number of generations. Uh, I've been recipient of that power imbalance of that economic imbalance, right? Of the way we've read the Bible in certain ways, or the ways that we've talked. Okay, let's go. Let's go into our into our churches, right? And I'm I'm familiar with a lot of sort of the church environments that we're in around PA. We focus well, for, and forget. I'm not going to point fingers at other churches. Even just think about what we talk about in our own in our own chapels which we help organize. So it's not like we're, throwing, we're not throwing other people on the bus. We're part of this, right? A lot of our conversations around um, the brokenness of our world, which is a very common theme, to talk about sin, which is sort of a, a divide. Uh, so the, the absence or doing not what God would want us to do is still done very deeply at a personal level. Dealing with my personal sin, getting right my personal relationship with God. Not knocking that, it's important. But we actually are sidestepping, maybe we don't even realize it, we are sidestepping 
the fact of, to use that word again, complicity in systemic structures. We don't like to, you know, we, it's fine to talk about sort of personal moral failings that I, it's like, okay, I got to, you know, that, that's a bad habit. I got to stop doing that versus do we like to talk about economic justice in our chapels? That gets a bit uncomfortable because people say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Now you're getting political. Don't get political, right? The gospel is political, right? The kingdom of God, when Jesus prays, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Again, what is the will of God? God's will on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, that is a political statement. It's a political prayer, right? And our human churches and our human governments, human ideologies, whether they, you know, in our, you know, conservative, liberal, social democratic, whatever you want to call it, right? These different things. They're going to align in certain ways with the gospel of, of the kingdom of God. And in other ways, they're going to be an affront to it. And we need to be confronted with, with those realities. So I hope I've not been dancing on your question. I mean, there's, there's times to call individuals out, right? But I think there's also times to call systems out. But even as we're calling systems out, we have to be very, very careful here. And I'll speak, this is okay, personally. I have to be very, very careful when I speak out and say, uh, speak out against the system. I am part of the system. I am the system. So I think to be truly prophetic, if I can, if I can bring it back maybe into a PA context, right? Because everyone has their ideas about what's good and not good about our own school. For me, to, for me just to sort of build my own identity off of firing pot shots and critiques at, well, I don't like the way we do this in chapel. I don't like the way, you know, we have this program over here and we should be doing this with outreach, not that. Like I could, you know, we can critique and talk all we want about these things, but I'm still part, I have to be part of it, right? I don't want to speak, I'm not speaking over it, speaking into it. I have to, I have to be part of, not just part of the solution, but to recognize this is actually my community. This is actually my family, right? These are my, my brothers and sisters. And that, my hope, bathed with a bunch of prayer and come Holy Spirit and be present, right, is that that, that, that sort of Jesus humility would infuse that project in what we do. Yeah, it sounds like just a very delicate balance of... So delicate. Recognizing mm -hmm. how the gospel, like you said, is not just purely a personal, moral thing. It has mm -hmm. a systemic and, like you yeah. said, political, economical uh, impacts and how we are supposed to try and navigate that. <laughs> yeah, it's, and it's dangerous. It's tricky because you're going to... Um, What's this podcast rated? <laughs> Never mind. Uh, like, you're, no, I'm serious. Like, you know what? Uh, here's I'm going to use sort of a theological word. Like, you're going to step on a lot of toes. You're going to well, I'll just you're going to tick people off. I'll just say that you're going to really tick a lot of people off. It's uncomfortable, right? No one wants to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You're a student, soon to be an alum. Uh, are you tracking with this kind of kind of thing? Will this be, how, how are you going to take these conversations uh, forward? I think this is one way. Uh, mm.
these are conversations that were already happening in my own life. Yeah. And a big part of why I wanted to start this was because I had seen how people in my own life were hurt by the church and yeah. under so-called speaking the truth out of love. And I thought that it was something that I wanted to address on a larger scale. Mm. And hopefully, I think this serves a dual purpose to uh, get people who are being that, uh, not, well, toxin is kind of harsh, but like unawareing, like unaware that they are hurting people um, to maybe help them recognize that. And also for people who have been hurt, like almost a redeeming healing process of humility. You know, we're here, we realize that we're sorry. And like, how do we move forward from here? Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Right. Cause it's <clears throat> one thing we've, we've not talked about in this, but it, this, well, we said baggage, right. But this wounds people. There's deep wounding that has happened. And I, I would like to believe I'm willing to be wrong. I would like to believe that, um, the the God of the Bible, the God's revealed in the Bible, Jesus, is redemptive and healing of those things, and is not actually, you know, some of these theologies people talk about. Well, God, you know, it's for our own good, and God, you know, God wounds us or allows us whatever. And okay, maybe, but I don't think so. Right? That God, God is present in our in our sufferings, but there's some suffering and wounding that is unnecessary or to to put it in the justice language right an injustice that needs to be to be put right and the church followers of jesus should be at the forefront of that should be champions of that as opposed to um, sitting back uh, right or or even just heck even just speaking right because actions and words and all that kind of stuff right so our actions the uh there's this you know old chorus right that they'll know we're christians by our love right our actions speak i you know i can say all this stuff i want uh but look at how we live our lives corporately communally uh we're that's a, that's what it means to be public witness um this this language of christian witnessing right that's been weaponized and can wound people too right um but witnessing is not just, you know, throwing a, a Bible tract at somebody or, you know, um, necessarily standing on a street. Maybe it means in some context, it might mean standing on a street corner with a sign. Right. Um, but I think public witness is by our daily actions, who we are rooted in love and humility. Amen. So you would say the love of God is the antidote. The love of God is the antidote. And as simple as that sounds, we will spend the rest of our lives and the life beyond plumbing the depths of that. God yeah. is love. What is that? What? <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, I really enjoyed having this conversation. So thanks guys for listening in. This concludes uh, my conversation with Mr. McFarlane about the church as a whole. Again, lots to think about. I hope you guys um, are asking questions again. And thank you for joining me, Mr. McFarlane. Uh, very enlightening.
All right, and that's all I have for now. I'll see you guys next episode. Bye.